Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. People are primed for somebody to show up and say, hey, I think I have an answer. I think I know how to solve it to where we can all get along, where we can all get along. The sad thing about it is whatever plan it is, we know it, it's, not, it's not made to last. It's not made to last. It can't last. Because without Christ, without Jesus, there's no lasting peace. There's no real substance behind that quote-unquote peace. What's the one thing in this world that people seek most? If you ask a beauty pageant contestant, they're going to say it's world peace. What's the answer to world peace? Is it to solve global warming or feed the children? End racism? What is it? In today's message, Pastor James teaches that the world is so hungry for peace that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, they'll fall hook, line, and sinker for the solution he claims to have. The problem is, is that the peace that he has to offer is all a sham. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 6 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Revelation 6. Let's just get right into this. This is a fun little chapter. This is like the beginning of it all, the beginning of the end, so to speak, um, when it comes to the tribulation, the beginning of the seven years and and just all that good stuff. But uh, let me pull up my Bible here. Revelation 6. You guys guys are there? All right. I'm going to read from the ESV. Uh, I'm also going to pull up my New Living Translation, too. So I don't know if that helps you, but... um, It helps me at times. Okay, there we go. It says, verse 1, now I watch. This is John. Now I watch when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. All right, so we'll we'll push pause there, because if you're just jumping in today, you're like, what? Seven seals, what are we talking about? Well, chapter 5 was this amazing worship service that was happening in in heaven, okay? And there was a, a, a document, a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals, and nobody... In, in heaven, on earth, nobody could be found who was worthy to open up the scroll, except for one, the lamb who was slain, and that's Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, yeah, there you go. You got the lion and the lamb, okay? So Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the lamb, the perfect sacrifice uh, on the cross, okay? The propitiation for us, the perfect sacrifice. Um, He was worthy to take the scroll from God and to begin to open up, to peel back the seals. There's seven seals, okay? Chapter six is where the seals start to get peeled off. Now, not all seven will be opened in this chapter, so I hope we understand that. The The way this normally is, is you got the seven seals. Well, you open up six, and then there's a break for the seventh, and then you'll have seven bowls. And the six will be poured out, and then there's a break for, before the seventh one's pour, poured out. It's just it's the way that the structure, the, the liter, literary structure of this, of this letter, and there's a reason, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, we get to look at seal one, two, three, four, five, and six, okay? So the lamb, that's Jesus, opened up one of the seven seals. I heard from the four living creatures. Those are the ones, the, the seraphim, that are flying around the throne of God, and they have the eyeballs everywhere, Okay? And they got, the, they got multiple wings 
uh, multiple sets of wings. They're flying. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And it says, one of these four living creatures says, uh, or says with a, a voice like thunder, come. Verse 2, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. All right, so this is interesting. This is uh, seal number one. And John's there. He's checking everything out. He's watching the lamb as the lamb just peels off that seal. And then immediately, one of the four creatures shouts out, come. So he's beckoning this rider to show up. This rider on this white horse cannot show up until this event happens. Can't. Okay, um, he can't. Well, here's the thing: he can't show up in this form until this happens. Now, here, who's the writer? A lot of a lot of people. Um, I know that's pretty generic, right? A lot of people. Um, a lot of biblical scholars would say that this is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. Well, why would we say that? It's a white horse. White horse is always like good, right? You know, he's the white horse, and you watch the old westerns. The guy dressed in all white, that's the good guy. The guy dressed in all black, that's the bad guy, right? Well, no, not always. Um, especially not when the guy who is dressed in all white is trying to appear as, so, as something that he is not, as if he is a, a counterfeit. Okay, so let's assume this is the Antichrist. That's what I have written down in my notes is that this is the Antichrist riding on a white horse. So he is coming and it looks as though he is the savior. Because in Revelation chapter 19, there's another white horse and a guy riding on that, but his name is Jesus and he's actually the Christ and he's coming with a whole army behind him. And out of his mouth comes the sword and it's the truth. Okay, the truth. This guy, riding on a white horse, can only show up in this form and fashion when the, when the seal is removed. So can this guy be on the planet right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could the literal Antichrist be living and alive on this planet right now? You better believe it. Absolutely. What, well, how, how, how would we know? Well, I don't know. You'll, I mean, eventually the world will know. Am I worried about who it is? I don't care. I don't care who it is. I do not care who it is. I'm not interested. Not interested. Why? Because it doesn't matter to me to a certain extent, all right? Number one, because I'm going to be gone when this is really unveiled as far as who this guy is, what his real intentions are. I, do, I am concerned for my loved ones because I'd like to be able to be like, hey, you see that guy over there? Yeah, don't, no, don't listen to anything that he says. Look, if you don't want to give your life to Jesus, okay, let me at least leave you with this heads up. That's the bad guy. That's the bad guy. Don't do what he says, okay? Um, I would love to be able to do that. I don't think we'll be privy to that information. Um, the Antichrist, uh, we, we got some, uh, uh, some cross-references and things like that that we can read through, but this guy's going to be very uh, smooth, okay? Very charismatic, all right? He's going to be a leader amongst leaders, this is going to be a guy that everybody across the board, nation-wise, they love this guy. They love this guy. He's got all the answers. Um, man, he's, not only does he have all the answers, but I mean, he's, he's like solving problems that nobody has ever been able to solve in all of human history. Because you got this issue with, um, you know, the Jews 
and, and the Arabs, uh, you know, and, and there's this, this fighting that's going on over there. And we'd say even more specifically, you got Jews and you got the Muslims, and they're fighting over this, the, the Temple Mount. Where can the Jews rebuild their temple? And they, some of that stuff could even get solved today, I mean, if we're honest, right? They, have, they already have ideas of where the new temple should be built. They already, they already have the instruments that are going to be used in the new temple. They already have everything that they possibly could, could need to pull off a temple service in Jerusalem right now. The only thing they're missing is a building. That's it. Does it have to be built before the rapture? Not necessarily. It could be. Maybe this guy shows up and is like, hey, I got this brilliant idea. Peace in the Middle East. How many guys have tried that? How many of our presidents, that has been their chief goal in office, is to solve the peace problem in the Middle East? It never lasts. It never lasts. But this guy's going to show up. Some say he's of European descent, okay? So he's got some European connections there, and uh, maybe with Rome and all this stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be studied up on this, who this individual is. Uh, what we do know is that he is very, uh, very charismatic, very charismatic. He's going to get a lot of people to follow him. He's going to get a lot of people to really believe that, man, this guy is the savior of the world. And he will demand worship, and people will worship him. That seems like crazy to us. This is writer number one. I'm saying he's the Antichrist. Now, the, uh, the cross-reference that you really need when you're reading through Revelation chapter 6, kind of Revelation 6 and 7, but specifically 6, is Matthew chapter 24. That's like, it's its twin brother, so to speak, okay? So um, that'll be part of what you guys do during your discussion time kind of thing. You're going to look at Matthew chapter 24, and you're going to see like, hey, how does this, how do they compare? Because uh, Matthew 24 gives you the heads up. He's like, listen, a lot of false prophets are going to show up. Don't believe, don't believe everybody that shows up proclaiming to be uh, the Messiah. You also have in Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, this, uh, a reference to this as the beginning of the 70th week, which would be the, the seven years, the tribulation. The first three and a half years are a time of peace, peace and prosperity. Um, I can tell you this. If you look at our world right now, it seems like everybody would welcome a global peace thing, right? Because you just had a virus that has ran, you know, rampant all over this globe that has uh, caused all sorts of issues. Now you've got a bunch of other stuff that's going on that's not just an American problem. It's a, it's a worldwide problem of, you know, whether it's a protest or, or whatever it may be, um, what we know for sure is there's an unrest within our world, and people, they're primed. People are primed for somebody to show up and say, hey, I think I have an answer. I think I know how to solve it to where we can all get along, where we can all get along. The sad thing about it is whatever plan it is, we know it's not, it's not made to last. It's not made to last. It can't last. Because without Christ, without Jesus, there's no lasting peace. There's no real substance behind that quote-unquote peace. It just won't make it. So here's this guy. He's, he's riding on a white horse. Um, the false, the antichrist is what we call him. He's got a bow. There's no arrows. Okay? 
He's got a bow, but he's got no arrows, which would signify that he's got power, but he's got no ammunition, okay? He's got no ammunition. So when he first shows up, it's as if he is like, you know, wanting to show himself as like, I'm a peaceful person. I'm a peaceful man, and I got peaceful solutions. It is a false peace. Um, let me read to you guys First Thessalonians, just about uh, specifically about this guy. Verse 2 and 3, it says this, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. So this is like the heads up of like what it's going to be like all before everything just comes unhinged. But part of that, as this might be this guy working some peace deals and all that good stuff, um, we know that he comes with peace, quote unquote, but uh, it really, it, you'll see the next horse that comes out of the mix is that anything but peace, right? And there are some guys who think that the, uh, the rider of the first horse is actually also the rider of the other horses, okay? I know um, Warren Wiersbe, guy that I admire, respect tremendously, his commentaries and all that good stuff. I've been consulting those and reading those for many years, and plus his books. Um, he has it, this labeled as the Antichrist is not only the guy on the white horse, but he's going to be the guy on the black horse and on the red horse and on the pale horse. How, how can we prove that? I don't know. I don't know, but it kind of makes sense because there's also like this progression that takes place. So you got the first horse, rider in his, he's got a bow, a crown was given to him, so he is, he's been given the opportunity to rule. Now, he doesn't have it apart from God's sovereignty, okay? He can't just show up and do this stuff on his own. God is greenlighting these things to happen. He is greenlighting these things to happen, okay? He came out conquering and to conquer. That was his intent. Verse 3 it says, when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from earth. So it's as if like the first guy showing up and yeah, he came to conquer, he came conquering and to conquer, but it was kind of in a manipulative, kind of peaceful way. This next guy, this next one, the red fiery horse, which red is always uh, symptomatic, so to speak, when, when you're talking about war type things as terror and carnage, terror and carnage. That's what this horse would, would represent, this bright red horse. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So let's assume this is the same rider. Well, you got a bow with no arrows. Well, you're done with that thing. Now you got the sword. And, not, and it's not as if he's the one killing or anything like that. It's people. People. I mean, so as this is playing out, and we're talking about, you know, kind of a bird's eye view of, you know, tribulation times and all this good stuff, but um, we need to understand that when this seal is opened up, I mean, it's going to be the first one, it, it seems like things are going good, and then, you know, that, that kind of gets the, the fog kind of clears out from that, and then here's this other horse that shows up, and, and it's just war, and it's humanity coming against humanity to kill each other. Well, I mean, our world history has been nothing but that. I think there's a total of like 200 and some odd years where there hasn't been a war on our planet. 
in total world history. That's insane. There has always been wars going on, and, and there's, unfortunately, there have always been lives that are being taken. And no matter what we feel about it, whether it's right or wrong, humanity, if, if, we, can, if we can do one thing good, it's, it's messing up what God intended to be good, um, but it's also taking the lives of other people. And we've been doing that for years. When it gets down to the end of it, it's really going to get bad. It's going to get bad. And that's basically what, what's being set up here is you got the seal one, that's, that's opened up. Now the seal two, the signifying of, of war. And again, Matthew 24 talks about this, but you, you, you have just, it's carnage and people just turning on each other, murdering each other. But you'll know this. E even in the midst of that, and you can take note of this, and we'll get deeper into it as we progress through Revelation, but nobody's stopping and surrendering to Jesus. I mean, people are killing each other all around us. And it's like, well, it seems like that might be a good time to stop and say, you know what, Jesus? I think I need you. <laughs> I think I, I want you. Because this world's crazy. It's going to get worse. And even when it gets worse, people still are like, I'm... I'm just going to keep running away from Jesus. There's another horse, the third seal. It says that he opens up the third seal. I heard a third living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So this is fascinating. So horse number three, it's a black horse, which uh, this, this horse represents famine, widespread famine across the land. Well, again, when you have widespread war across the land, what do you think is going to happen to the crops? You're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. So it's going to create a, a, it's going to create a tremendous problem, but there's going to be famine across the globe. And as we've seen, I mean, we just, we just walked through what felt like tribulation to a certain extent. Like, do you remember going to the grocery store and there's no food on the shelves? There's no meat? I mean, we, you kind of get little glimpses right now of like what, now, this will be a much bigger scale to where they're saying, like, hey, if you want to buy some grain, you want to buy some oatmeal, it's going to cost you a whole day's salary. Whatever you make for that day will sell you this much oatmeal. And you're like, I don't want to spend that much on oatmeal. <laughs> no, no, thank you. But that's how it, it's, it's food supply. It's gone. It's gone. And those who are in control of that are going to use that as leverage. The rich will get richer, and the poor will get poorer. That's how it's going to be. This third horse that shows up, it's, it's famine. You got a pair of balances. That's, that's the control of food. A quarter grain worth you know, a whole day's wage. Um, I mean, you can get, you can get more, uh, what's it, barley, um, if I could find my right spot here. Uh, or New Living Translation says this. A loaf of wheat bread or, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's page. It's like, I love wheat bread, all right? I do. I, it's my absolute favorite. My family hates it. I don't know why, but they hate it, and I love it. It's the best bread ever. Um, 
but I'm not going to pay a full day's wage for a loaf of bread. And you can keep the barley loaves because I don't want any of that business. So, and, that's, and you could tell the value of those things. They're like, well, we'll give you three barley loaves. You know, it's like, I don't, nobody wants that. But you can, you can tell, like, there's, there's the inflation. Uh, it's just crazy. But what's the deal with the oil and the wine? Oil and wine, uh, oftentimes, um, you know, reserved for the rich, those who have money. So it's fascinating that here it is. It's like uh, this, this proclamation goes out, and it's like uh, the voice of the four living beings saying, a loaf of bread, of wheat bread, and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. Don't waste the olive oil and wine. Reserve that. So it's almost as if it's creating this like tension within the world itself of like, hey, listen, um, if, you, if, if you work all day, you can buy a loaf of bread. Now, if you already got money, well, then you can enjoy some olive oil and some wine and all that good stuff because nothing's going to touch that. But you can't, if you can barely buy, afford to buy a loaf of bread, you surely aren't going to be buying olive oil and wine. So it's going to cause conflict, conflict. That's already kind of there anyways, right? If we're honest, grain, oil, and wine, uh, those are key products of Israel. So that's kind of fascinating as well. Key products of Israel. And these are going to be things that are um, used, so to speak, uh, in, in the whole, the end times kind of scenario. People are going to be struggling. They're going to be struggling. And you might be thinking through your head like, okay, so, but this doesn't make sense. And, and I hear this a lot. They're like, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Right? Like, why would he do this to people? Well, I think I understand the question. I get the question. I get the reasoning. I, I understand kind of the logic behind that. The problem is, is like, why, why, do, why is his sacrifice of his one and only son not good enough for you? Right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. God is love. God is loving. God is merciful. But God is also just. And he is, man, he has had his son on display for thousands of years. The greatest proclamation of love towards humanity that God could ever demonstrate. And he has continually had people spit in his face about that one thing. Continually rejecting Jesus. Continually rejecting Jesus. And we're supposed to be okay with that. And so when judgment comes, we're supposed to be like, well, if he was really a loving God, then he wouldn't be like that. It's like, I'm sorry, but he is a really loving God, and he's given humanity countless opportunities. At some point in time, it has to stop. At some point in time, the grace runs out. Because humanity, even in these conditions, what you're not going to see is revival. Now, we'll get into the finer minutia as we go through Revelation. You'll see that revival does break out in the book of Revelation. Lots of people end up getting saved. There's a lot of Jews that end up getting saved. It's really a cool thing that happens there. But you also have a lot of other uh, Gentiles that get saved during the book of Revelation. So that's a sweet thing. So you do have people turning to him. But by and large, what we think would people would be like, you know what? I think we've had it wrong this whole time, and maybe that Jesus thing is actually the best thing. There's not a lot of that. 
In fact, until the very end, just a spoiler alert, when he does come back, there is an army prepared to meet Jesus as if they're going to fight him. Revelation isn't just a dream that John made up to entertain or scare people. But yet, I wonder what we feel about the last book of the Bible. John's vision of what he saw in the heavens offers many details and signs about what we can expect to come in the future. I take comfort in these words found in Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. Are you ready, friends, for Jesus to return? If you have questions regarding today's message, would you let us know by visiting breadforthebroken.com and submitting your question through email? We look forward to answering your questions and praying for you as well. There's loads of messages from Pastor James Grizzle to be found, so don't navigate away from breadforthebroken.com until you've perused them at your leisure. They're to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, to encourage and uplift you as you navigate the storms that life throws at you, because we know how rough life gets sometimes. Are you looking for a church to call home, one that's genuine, simple, and uncomplicated? Well, guess what? You found it here with us at Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m., you can find us studying God's Word together. So, would you make some plans to come join us? We sure hope so. We trust that you've been blessed by this edition of Bread for the Broken. See you next time. Let me paint the picture of you, man.